I want to say hello to listeners of Talk With Me. Hey, today's going to be a fun show to listen to because it's a show with two guests, and they're two guests who are great friends as well as great writers, and I'm anticipating laughter, poetry, conversation, it'll all be good. And I'm just going to say, we're going to actually start with one of those people and then add the other one as obtrusively as possible to the conversation when he is able to join us. So at this moment, I want to welcome Kevin Rabitz. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Good, good. Thanks, Marsha. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and you're coming to us from Emporia, Kansas, where you will be teaching students very soon, right? <laughs> that's right. We start at 11. <laughs> yeah, so that time of day where when we're recording, it's right before your classes. You have your students doing anything particularly interesting right now? Um, well, we're starting a flash fiction unit, and we're going to be using a short story by Laurentian uh, Tasha Haas. Uh, today. So we're going to be talking about Spring Sunday Morning, which is a great flash fiction piece in her book, Certain Dawn, Inevitable Dawn, out through Woodley Press 2010. So a regional press and a regional writer. All right. So for those of us who don't already know this, what what distinguishes flash fiction? Um, well, it's short fiction, maybe uh, 500 words to five pages or so. And, you know, in that way, it has a lot of ties to things like poetry in, in its short, compressed form. And I love writing in it, too. If something doesn't seem to work as well as a poem, such as a narrative poem, sometimes flash fiction becomes a venue for the best way to tell that tale. Interesting. And so tell us a little bit about your background with writing. I know you're, you're teaching right now, and I know that you've written quite a lot in different genres. So just for people to, to know you a little bit. In addition to teaching, which we've said you do, who are you, Kevin Rabus? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, um, my mother was a journalist. She wrote for the Shawnee Journal Herald and um, The Sun. And uh, she, um, she was really an inspiration for me. She would take us to the newsroom when she was kids and to the production room. And we would play with the waxer and the X-Acto knives. And, um, <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> exactly. What safe fun for little kids. And she would go to a fire and I would uh, carry her um, tape recorder around my neck, slung around my neck by its strap. And so she, she introduced us to a, a world of writing and observation. And so um, I really thank her for that. Um, her name's Joyce Rabus, and my dad worked in construction. And so they were both on kind of different sides of, 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 of literary life. And so my mom really inspired me. Um, I love jazz and almost paid my rent as a jazz musician in Kansas City. I also yeah. worked at a jazz archive and for the school paper. And so um, I write about jazz a lot, jazz life, music, etc. cetera. Uh, love and romance, family, ordinary and, or and extraordinary Kansas. And Kansas and Kansas City is a place. So those are the things I write about. Mainly, um, I'm do going to do some jazz research on what is now called the Mutual Musicians Foundation in about a week. Um, and so I also write about jazz history, um, mainly through poetry now, but sometimes I give talks about that local musicians union and things related to jazz. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. So yeah. do you still play some music? I do. I play a regular gig in Lawrence 
the third uh, Saturday of each month, 8 to 10 p.m. at Amy's Coffee House, which is 1025 Massachusetts. Uh, it's a group called the Petroglyphs, which is original folk and blues. And we've been playing that gig steadily once a month for about 11 years. So I still have that. Um, and um, it's mainly folk and blues, a little bit of jazz, but I mean, maybe two tunes out of 50. Um, and then um, I play um, in town here in Emporia at Ellen Plum's Bookstore, which is a new bookstore at 11th Commercial. And we host an open mic, but before that we have a featured bit. And I play with my wife, Lisa Moritz, who is a singer-songwriter, before the gig to get people kind of into the spirit and to hear something that's planned. And um, sometimes I read some poetry too, but I play with her drums, brushes, and a little bit of cajon, which is a box drum. And so I have that once a month here in town. And then other things come up. Um, there was a speakeasy um, a few weeks ago, kind of a throwback to the 20s and 30s, and I played uh, some some jazz uh, at that. So, yeah, I keep busy, um, and, you know, it's an easy schedule. I don't really make any money off of music right now, but um, I still keep my chops up, and I, I love playing music. It's something that inspires my writing and oh, inspires cool. me maybe, like, spiritually or something, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did was music part of your upbringing too, like your mom's journalism, or was this something just you? Um, you know, my parents really encouraged me to try out whether I could, whatever I could do, and have time to, and and had funds for. Um, there was a jazz musician who came to my middle school, Doug Talley, um, and he uh, introduced us to jazz for free after school. We could hang out with him, and he'd do things like he'd play something on a saxophone and say okay, you play that back, you play that back, you on drums, same deal. And so um, we went out and would hear him in Kansas City, and um, and that was my introduction to jazz. I played in the jazz program at UMKC, and so that also furthered my education. And I also hung out so much at the Mar Sound Archive at UMKC, which is a classic jazz um, uh, library, that after a while, Chuck Haddix, who runs that, um, said, hey, Kevin, why don't you start shelving records and we'll put you on the clock. So um, I got a job just by being there. <laughs> cool. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause, and it's funny because when you were saying that, I was thinking about, well, what are some of the different interests that some of the poets that I've talked to, some of the writers I've talked to have had? And, and one that came to mind maybe because it was a little bit recent is that um, Eric McHenry has this cool poem about um about baseball specifically a player in Topeka who set a record for the distance of a hit and there was a little known player and he wow. shared this at a reading that probably was a couple months ago cool yeah yeah i know that um um dennis is also into baseball and has a book manuscript called Strikeout, which is all about baseball and its intersection with his life and family growing up. So they've got that in common. I kind of like baseball. Yeah. Referring to Dennis Ethel Jr., who actually is in the process of joining us as I'm looking at communication from him. Just a little bit late. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. No worries. Yeah. Yeah. I I love Dennis's uh, baseball poems. They're really something... No, I'm not going to let you say that till he's on. Because on. I was just thinking, my first 
my first sort of introduction in any way to you was because of a reading that you guys did at Amy's. And I didn't actually get to see you, but there was a video of, right. of you reading in front of Amy's. And that, I'm yeah. going to guess that was probably about three years ago, something like that. It's been a while. Right, right. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so um, at Amy's Coffee, I do a, like what I call a poetry moment, and I read a little bit each time. And then sometimes Amy's is generous enough to also host a reading before our uh, folk and original blues show with the petroglyphs. And so, yeah, and Dennis and I read out a lot. Like, as you know, you know we're reading at the Raven uh, in, in about a week, and so uh, with Ben Cartwright. So we appreciate each other and enjoy sharing the stage. That's great. That's really great. I'm going to take just a minute here and prompt Dennis once more. Um, he's having difficulty finding the link to join us. That technology, oh, no. darn it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also dig Eric McHenry's work, too. And, you know, there aren't so many poets in Kansas who are writing uh, fixed-form poetry or poetry uh, which em employs Endrime in a modern and contemporary way. So I really admire that, especially since sound is something that um, that I um, use in my own poetry, though in a I don't know a more jazzy way. Uh -huh. And and when you talk about sound, I think about for me, that's why I love readings. <laughs> Going to readings mm -hmm. is hearing how the writer themselves, how that person speaks those words. And, and I know maybe in part because for a long time I did a lot of counseling work via phone that I, I pay a lot of attention to voices and, and kind of patterns of communication. So I can imagine both um, as a writer and a musician that, that you know, your sound, Hello? hey, Dennis Hetzel Hello. Jr. is popping in to join us to record. <laughs> so sorry about the delay there. Had a little, you know, technical difficulties. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, We're welcome, friend. you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So, so Kevin and I were just talking, even talking a little teeny bit about you, Dennis. But we will, we will let you do some talking about yourself as well as probably a little bit about Kevin, it'd only be fair. And of course, we want to let people know about the, the reading, more details about that, that you guys are doing at the Raven. But um, welcome, Dennis. I know this is kind of a little bit of a rush for you at this moment. Um, so for people who have not yet had the pleasure of encountering you, Dennis Etzel Jr., through your writing, maybe they've seen your book through a reading, maybe they've had you as a professor, maybe they haven't in any way had any contact with you. Um, how about tell us a little bit about you, Mr. Etzel Jr.? <laughs> oh, sure. Well, and thank you again for having me on the show, and it's great to be here with my friend Kevin, too. So it's, yeah, I'm just really excited about this. Um, so, yeah, I'm a longtime Topekan. I've always lived in Topeka, um, fifth generation Topekan. And, um, yeah, I just, I love poetry. I just fell into poetry accidentally when a professor had said to me that I should improve my writing. And I said, <laughs> how do I do this? Yeah, yes. It's that dreaded, 
I need to talk to you in my office. It's like, uh oh, what did I do? Uh-huh. And he said, you know, you should, you know, you know the concepts of philosophy. He was a philosophy professor, Dr. Nobo, who said this. He said, you know the concepts of philosophy. You should just learn how to become a better writer. And I said, how do I do this? How do I do it then? And he said, uh-huh. uh, keep a journal and carry a thesaurus. And hmm. it really was that journal really figuring out not just, you know, what did I do today? But then, like, who am I? And I think that's also maybe a part of poetry is figuring out who am I, right? And and what is the place in the universe? Uh, what is the universe? Uh, so all of those things into poetry writing that way. So um, so with all of the, the work I do, it is often, I guess, I would say poetic memoir, a lot of... Uh, personal experience, but as well as looking at the public. So the things I write about on the personal level are also on the public level. So for instance, uh, I have a chapbook called The Some Two Mothers about uh, two mothers raising me, uh, my mother coming out, meeting Sandra. And uh, the book also has with me being a father now too. So with those things in my personal life, there are also things about the public that have to do with LGBTQ uh, quality and uh, those things. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a wrap up of, I guess, what would my work be and um, yeah, all of that. And I will tell you that there's something that I have remembered since the first time you and I talked about your poetry, Dennis, and that was also about the influence of comics. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, Kevin and I, we talk a lot about comics too. He grew up with comics. Yeah. And one and of the things gets... that you pointed out when, when we were talking about yeah. that was the the limited amount of words that can go in a frame of a comic. And in some sense, how that's similar to poetry that you pack a lot of meaning, poets pack a lot of meaning into small amounts of words typically. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, I just know so many poets, too, who love comic books. And I wonder if it is also maybe that segue, like what you would think would be different genres really are more of segues or more liminal than one would think. Um, it's interesting because yeah. for me, like, I didn't know this this term <laughs> of graphic novel, <laughs> that it was, in essence, comic um, and I, w- I heard a piece, and I can't remember right now the writer. I heard a piece uh, probably a couple of years ago on NPR, and I was intrigued by. I want to read this book that I'm hearing this writer talk about, and so I go to the to my local library, Lawrence Public Library, and and I look for this book, and I see that it's classified as adult graphic novel. I'm thinking. Oh man, I didn't expect this to be something like that because my idea of adult yeah. and graphic was <laughs> yeah, there's yes. be a lot of sex and violence. So they have to put it in its own section. That didn't sound like what I heard about on NPR. And then I go to that area. It's like, oh, that's not what graphic novel means. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. I even caught yeah. myself, well, I have five boys and I was telling my wife, about having adult books Uh you know because we have so many children books Uh and i didn't think of like oh no it's like we need more oh no wait a minute i didn't mean it in that way (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm excited that they're now taking, quote unquote, literary people and having them write for comics. Like, Ta-Nehisi mm-hmm. Coates is writing for the new Black Panther reboot. And so now they're turning to us, in quotation marks, to to um, to do this. You know, uh, does that make sense? Uh, yes. I think that's great. Well, and it seems, I mean... I, I don't know about his writing, but in terms of poets doing this, it seems like to me that it would it would be pretty a nat- pretty natural fit, you know. And perhaps it could be expanded into. I, I love the. I don't know why I love this phrase, but but Shanet Karasa taught me that phrase, ekphrastic poetry. So maybe graphic novels are actually ekphrastic poetry. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting that art and word stuff together. <laughs> yeah, there's even a, a two poets. Uh, is it William Trowbridge who did a comic book? Yeah, old, old man superhero. I believe yeah. it is what it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. really great. It's funny as can be. Yeah, there's also another poet, <laughs> Bianca Stone, who also has a comic book out that's meant to be a poet, a, a book of poetry too. So, so there is really that even too, where it is a cross-genre, a true cross-genre, not just using comic book tropes and metaphors, but like a real comic book that it has poetry in it. So. All right, cool. So I want to hear some stories about how you two have connected, you know, way back in the day and obviously have a long friendship and, and collaborate in some ways. Tell us a little bit about you two together, Dennis and Kevin, whichever one of you wants to start. Okay. Um, well, I, I'll start. We met at K State at at a at a reading and conference about uh, 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 the environment and nature, and um, um, and so it was a conference that had scholarly papers as well as readings of poetry and other things. And um, uh, Dennis had been a part of the liter- of a literary magazine that had published one of my works through K State Touchstone, and so we met, met and hung out, and then later started writing each other paper letters and about every one to three days um, a paper letter comes from each of us and we talk about our lives, our writing, our friendship, um, um, etc. And I think, I mean, Dennis can probably correct me on the year of when that happened. Um, I could also look it up. Um, but it's been it's been several years now. 2006. Cool. That's <laughs> yeah. a lot of years. Yeah. We really just, as they say, hit it off, right? We really just connected and bonded, even just sitting together and talking. And it was one of those, like, for me, I was like, I want to, you know, keep in touch with this guy. I, uh-huh. he, it's something even with our um, attitude and countenance and just our overall approach as people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. if there's that, uh, that we just felt like this really simpatico thing. Yeah, I hope lots of people have had that experience with friendships, like the serendipity of being in some situation where you meet somebody and you just know this is one of my people, you know, and that is so cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there are um, famous literary friendships, including things like the Beats, who would travel across the country hitchhiking and and, and road tripping to hang out. and. we're close enough that we can um, get together every once in a while, every two months or so. 
but also the writing is the thing. You know, we learn about our own lives and share our lives and find our way into our writing by um, by corresponding. That's lovely. That's that really one of is. the things I really love, too, is uh, Kevin is generous enough. So, like, we're keeping each other's letters, too. Uh-huh. I have, like, four big boxes of his letters. <laughs> <laughs> and Likewise. What, and one thing I love is that he sends me his first drafts to poems. Uh-huh. And then he sends me the typed up revision to that poem. And so I just really, I love those. And just even that, not even feeling, you know, sometimes we feel like, oh, we're sent a poem. All of a sudden we have to feel like we are in workshop mode, but we don't have to do that, right? That mm-hmm. it's just sharing our work, sharing what we're doing. And then, yeah, and then we, we will comment like, hey, I love how you did this in that poem or whatever. But right. like, I feel like, oh, I have very much Kevin's uh, handwritten first poems. Cool. And that just means so much to me. Likewise, we're each other's literary executors in a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It, more than that, too, because the, the letters are also about our lives. And mm-hmm. so we just we share what we're working on in our lives and in our writing. And, you know, uh, Dennis is essentially my best friend. Uh, if I had to mm-hmm. list my friends, my wife, Lisa, Dennis, and, and, and that's pretty much where it stops with my circle. So, uh, anyway. <laughs> I, too, I have to say, I, have, I too, agree. I, do too, agree. <laughs> Carrie and Kevin, yeah. <laughs> that's very cool. And, and it kind of happened again serendipitously, you're saying, starting at that face-to-face interaction at a conference. That's very cool. Yeah. So how did how did it get set up for this this reading that's coming up? I know you guys and Ben Cartwright are reading at the Raven on mm-hmm. Thursday, March sixteenth. Um, how did you finagle getting the two of you on the same bill? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I just saw that Ben. I mean, Ben is also another great guy, great poet, a great enthusiast, great activist, just all around. And now he's living up in Washington State. But he was going to come back in the area. He has family here. And he his first book won a poetry prize. So it's a really exciting book. It's a great book called After Our Departure. Uh, and it, so it has to do, the poetry book has to do with travel as well as people uh, passing on. So it's this, you know, really re- great study of those things. And he's just a, a remarkable poet. And I thought, yeah, I need, we need to get this poetry reading going. And so, uh, yeah, contacting, again, The Raven. The Raven is another great community resource. I'm sure all the listeners know about The Raven. And if you haven't, you need to check them out, downtown Lawrence. Uh, but that they are just so open to having people come. They're so inclusive of community writers and having people read there. And it's just a really rare, unique thing. Um, yeah. So, but that's it. So it just felt... Uh, like, oh, yeah, we need Kevin in this, too, right, too. Yeah. Uh, so, and I don't remember, really remember the overall, you know, with all the planning and everything, but because it was done, like, last year. We were like, wow. oh, we need to get this. But um, That's great. Yeah, and Kevin, what do you remember of the planning? Um, you know, I don't, I don't remember it very well either. You know, Dennis and Ben and I talk back and forth and tried to find a date and tried to find, uh, you know, how could we make this happen? And so we got Thursday, March 16th at 7 p.m. at the Raven. And, um, 
Um, I, we all do kind of different things in our poetry, but there is overlap. And mm-hmm. so it seemed like a natural fit in terms of variety, but also uh, somewhat unity of purpose. And so I, yeah. I think it'll be a joy to come here. Um, um, uh, I, uh, others might be able to talk about what goes on in our poetry better than we do. Um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we have our own kind of vision that it has overlap. Um, yeah. talking about things like family, um, some experimentation, um, um, dedication to place. You know, there are lots of other strains. I think mm-hmm. I also want to add too that the three of us, yeah, even though we're like seen as, you know, three white guys, right? <laughs> three, uh, I don't know, middle age. I don't know what you'd say it or thirties, forties, right? White guys, um, that we don't, we extend our poetry further than that, right? Like we aren't the kind of white guys club, as they say, of poets, uh, that we are writing about the uh, inclusivity of community, inclusivity of, you know, drawing attention to, you know, social awareness, social activism. Um, yeah, even one thing uh, Kevin and I had tried to collaborate on before was about uh, bullying, even like the importance of calling out bullying. But we have, we've also talked about, uh, issues of you know like race um, and race construction, uh, LGBT, uh, gender. So um, that's kind of another thing I guess I'd like to say uh, in this important yeah. time where you know even now like uh, as we know things have really changed drastically in America. I want to also call all political parties together too though. So <laughs> yeah. If, those willing to listen, so yeah. anyway, right, That's right, and willing to listen and really listen and consider whether maybe they could expand their opinions or even change them in ways they hadn't expected, which we we don't have the opportunity to do if we don't listen. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a good way to think of it. Like poetry should expand our worldview. Uh huh. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And I think that with with a variety of with art in general, you know, that that's a way to nudge people to to let them experience something and some information, some experiences uh, that they maybe weren't planning to witness. And then they get to think about it. You know, so sometimes it's introducing something new. Sometimes it's giving the audience that reminder that wow, I am not alone because this person at the mic just did this thing and that's something that's in my head too, in my heart too. There's this connection stuff too that I I love seeing that happen and experiencing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I would love to have each of you share some poetry before we take a break for... um, hearing from some of the sponsors of the station. And so, uh, Kevin, how about if you, if you would share something first, um, and okay. then Dennis, I'd love to have you share something too. Sure. Um, and of course we want to talk about it a little bit, but just to, to kind of get that started. So, Kevin, okay. it's your call, what kind of poetry, what it's about, all that good stuff. But I'm excited to hear you, your voice and your words. Okay. I'll write a, I'll, I'll read a poem mm-hmm. a little bit about the jazz life and, um, you know, I changed the names and such, but this is, you know, 
trying to observe a little moment in uh, the lives of jazz musicians, and this is kind of off-duty sort of jazz stuff. This one's called Bottle Problems. Ryan's drunk, and Anne has a dark green bottle he's brought, and she's twisting the corkscrew, and the cork, puffed and torn, won't come out, and she asks me to help, and I break the bottle lip, thinking, now no one will drink. But Anne takes out a cheesecloth and strains the wine through, purple and blood red, through white fabric, abstract art on cloth, the neck of the bottle bent, an angle, a lever, she moves our drunk world. And I can see the future in those wine stains. Ryan back on the bandstand, his big brown upright bass at his shoulder, humming, lowing, string singing, and like gravel under tires, out comes Ryan's Paris voice, lost a continent over, but now back in KC, the cat's holler, the KC wail and bray turned sophisticate by a night of strained wine. All right. Behind the scenes with jazz musicians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that one. I love that one. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in some ways I was a kid when I came up. I was playing professionally at 18, 19, 20 or so. And so I didn't know a whole lot about life or anything. I just wanted to play. And so we stumbled our way into things with older musicians teaching us. <laughs> mm. Very cool. It's wonderful when people are generous in that, like you said, older musicians teaching you and when people get that you really you really are interested and you're open to, to what they have to help you learn. And that's that's that kind of interaction and mentoring, whatever you want to call it, that's a whole other thing that I that I just so appreciate and love when that happens when you see this. Those uh, different generations of whatever talent working together. That's cool. Yeah, you know, there's a whole system of that in jazz. I don't know if everybody knows about, but at jam sessions where um, a house band and older musicians run the show, younger musicians cut their teeth and learn to play. And afterwards, often or even sometimes on the stage, the older musicians or more experienced musicians will teach us things, sometimes in the middle of a song. Um, and uh, that mentorship is just part of the tradition. And um, as long as you're cool, all are welcome. So it's, it's, really, um, it's really something that, that um, I'll always cherish. Very cool. And Dennis, we want to turn the mic, so to speak, over to you. Sure. Sounds great. Thank you. And uh, this is also a poem based on an experience. Uh, this one is actually from my latest book called Fast Food Sonnets. And um, in this case, uh, it was about my time working at McDonald's. <laughs> and I worked at McDonald's seven years. It was my first job. And uh, I thought, how do I need to reclaim those seven years back? <laughs> so it really is a book of poetry experience, but also, you know, look, yeah, looking at um, how employees are treated and looking at, mm -hmm. you know, working wages, fair wages, uh, you know, so kind of the whole overall arch of, again, kind of the social, cultural a level of fast food restaurants. And this one's called Training Videos. Uh, and so anyone who's worked at McDonald's or probably any fast food restaurant or other places have probably also had to watch videos like this too. <laughs> okay. 
Watch them in the break room while on the clock. Learn how to smile like the actors. As one suggests to a customer, apple pies and cookies make nice desserts, included at an inexpensive price. Managers watch their own films, learn their lines when speaking to employees. Is everything okay? The male manager asks the new young girl. I noticed you were not as productive, he says with concern, assures her he's there and he cares. The restaurant is like home with a kitchen and dining room our guests fill. He talks about employee appearance, to wear her hair up, be ready to serve. Wow. So <laughs> that, yeah, uh, and it was really a, based on a true training video. And so that, it still really stayed with me of how just um, shocking it was to me to see this. Um, you know, as part of this kind of corporate training of people. Yeah. Uh, and then also the smile, like um, learn how to smile. Or this is also something I talk about when I usually read this poem in public. That often women are told to smile by men they don't know. And that's oh. also another really disturbing thing to me. Like, and you'll probably see this anywhere. Like uh, the last time I saw it was um, in Applebee's when my family and I were out of town and we were at an Applebee's and there was a guy just telling every woman walking by him, Hey, smile, you know? And it's like, wow. It's, it's as if you're in my presence and you need to be happy. Yeah. You need to be showing that you're happy. Yep. It's just so degrading on so many levels. So, yeah. um, yeah. and horrible. Think about Hey, we yeah. need to take a break, but, but I do want to say quite seriously about the fast food thing just because I can, we need to remember those people who do eat at fast food restaurants for whatever reasons that we end up there at some points. Remember that every single person working there is a real live person and appreciates your consideration too. <laughs> you know, that, that sometimes I think people forget that workers in, in the food service or retail industry, people forget that these are actual people, not just part of the equipment. <laughs> So yes. be nice. Be nice to those people who are working there. Um, and, we're going to take a quick break, which means Kevin, Dennis, and I are going to be quiet while there's time to hear from some businesses that sponsor LawrenceHips.com. And I say thank you to Daniel Smith, who produces the show, because that's why people get to hear us. And we'll be right back with more talk. So listeners, welcome back to Talk With Me. This is Marsha Epstein, and I'm in Lawrence, Kansas. And I have two guests with me who are not in Lawrence, Kansas, both who are writers, Dennis Etzel Jr. and Kevin Rabus. And so thanks to LawrenceHits.com producer Daniel Smith, we all get to talk and you get to hear. And I don't know why, but I just have to add this anecdote about fast food because of that, that poem that Dennis read. So Anderson Cooper, who people may know as a news uh, reporter on CNN or however they know him, he also happens to be Gloria Vanderbilt's son. So <laughs> in the New York Times wow. Sunday Magazine, yeah, New York Times Sunday Magazine, they do this little thing. And th this one was with little drawings and, and answers to questions. Anderson Cooper says, what would he like for his last meal? A Big Mac fries and Coke. 
that is great. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way to go out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it could maybe hurry or anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is so funny. And I also wanted to say, yeah, Marsha, thank you for saying about, you know, trying to treat employees with respect there. That definitely is something, um, even the cover to my book, the artist uh, used this electronic art to portray, you know, a young woman or woman on skates uh, delivering a meal. And he said, um, you know, I'm trying to get the face down. It's hard to get, you know, the face. And I said, no, this is great because people see the uniform, right? The moment an employee turn, puts a uniform on in a fast food restaurant, mm -hmm. it's like people don't see, they no longer see the identity of a person. They only see someone who's going to do something for me. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, definitely. And, and it's something that um, my wife and I continue to do wherever we go when we see someone treating a clerk in a store or something really badly and demanding, we, we step in where the employee necessarily can't uh -huh. because of their training to say, you know, you know, don't stand up against a customer. You know, you're supposed to just call the manager and try to work things out in a nice way. Uh -huh. But uh, for me, I feel like, yeah, as a citizen, it's my, it's my duty to stand up for people mm -hmm. when they're being mistreated in a power structure that they don't have the power to stand up for themselves. Yeah. So, and that's an important reminder, you know, that, that sometimes the way that Zenit said briefly is stand up, don't stand by. You mm -hmm. know, we can make a difference when people are more vulnerable. We can make a difference, and, and you know, we have to do it safely for everybody, but, but it's important not mm -hmm. to just witness mistreatment and ignore it. So, yeah. Good, good, important reminders. From a poet and former fast food worker. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and, and Dennis, before you were able to join us, Kevin and I were talking a little bit about um, some of the interests and how, for him, jazz is certainly a major influence and interest. And for you, baseball is one of those things, too. And, and I have to say that that gets me back to this interesting thing that how we have in Kansas City, the Negro League Museum and jazz and, and baseball are connected right there, too. And so I'm, I'm wondering a little bit about your baseball interest, Dennis. Oh, right. So I was, I was born the year after the Royals were formed. So already I'm like this Royals fan. <laughs> um, you know, the, that's a really good too, to see how baseball is. And, you know, I guess that's it. Like as a poet, we try to examine things, right? Like the attention on things. And this is another thing that poets, it's interesting to see poets are really big baseball fans too. Like I've seen um, Travis McDonald, who's a poet in uh, Pennsylvania. And he's a big baseball fan. And so we kind of talk about that. Or uh, I go with Joe Harrington, who's a big baseball fan. He's a Lawrence poet, teaches at KU. And uh, we'll go to the game uh, with another, uh, with Jim, who knows so much about baseball. And, you know, so we'll go to a game every year. And we're going to also get Kevin on board on this, too, I think. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kevin, let's do this. 
Well, right, McHenry. Sounds good to me. Eric uh, McHenry, who's your and, colleague at Washburn and the Kansas Poet Laureate, is also a baseball guy. He shared this great poem, and that's something I said. But Kevin mentioned that you also have uh, at least a couple, maybe one especially great baseball poem. Is that true, Dennis Etzel Jr.? Yeah, maybe. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Dennis has shared with me his uh, strikeout manuscript, which centers around baseball and his, his childhood with baseball. So there's that, too. That's a right. A whole lot of poems That's about right. baseball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look for that. I am really, yeah, I'm still working on that one. That And maybe that's something, too, that if we're talking about poetry and what we do, like Kevin and I as friends, because, again, I've, yeah, I've sent this to Kevin, and he's like one of three people who's seen this. Right. Oh. Like we, you know, that's probably the bond of poetry and friendship, too, is that you learn, you know, like workshopping is great to learn how to workshop and learn things about your craft. But like the more you're doing poetry stuff, it's, it seems like for me, the smaller the circle becomes like, I don't know why that is even too. Right. Like um, I, I feel like I'm getting even more protected even though, yeah, I know this stuff is going to come out or hopefully come out or whatever, that I'll eventually release it. Mm -hmm. Right, but, right. Well, um, it, yeah. In some ways, think, it seems Kevin? like you don't have to make up for lost time and backstory and exposition if you've been working with a friend for years. You don't have to tell them your whole story over the next few weeks. You can just give them the, the work and they say, oh, I know where you're coming from. Does that make sense? Like letter writing, too. If, if you know a person well, you don't have to preface a whole bunch of stuff. You just start in with, here's what happened today. Here's what's troubling me. And here's what's going well, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah that's, a good, that's a good point. I think, if anything, I'd encourage even people who are poets but feel like well and that's how i even got back into poetry too and thinking of um like as a like a career move no i i went back to school at night to get a second degree in english when i was a computer programmer and it it's because i felt like i had no poetry community and my poet and thus my poems were going nowhere oh. I felt simply exhausted and uh dis despair and the need to just I need to improve my poetry. So it seemed like a better solution to take another class at Washburn at night, mm -hmm. you know, and writing. And then I realized then I could get a second degree at this, you know, and, at night, like, because I'd already had my first degree at Washburn. So that mm -hmm. out there who feel that way, like, and, and I, like, yeah, I write poetry, but I keep it to myself or I keep it in the drawer or whatever, like Emily Dickinson thing. Um, I tell them, well, Emily Dickinson talked to a lot of other poets, too. So you need to really, if you can find just one other person or look at your library, look where or what, you know, try to find those groups where you know yeah. who you feel a fit. Like, and, and I'm just so much help. Um, just because we, we, I think we all know um, Rhonda Miller, who is a poet, there is this Kansas Authors Club, Roy Beckemeyer from Wichita may still be the president. There's this thing called Kansas Authors Club. So if people are in Kansas, and, and I assume this exists other places, and haven't figured out for sure how to connect with other writers, there may be something like that in your area that could be at least a, a beginning of, of getting involved with people. You know, if you have the opportunity yeah. to get involved at 
you know, related to classes, you know, Dennis, like you're saying, you went back to, you know, that that's great, that, that you know, going to readings, talking to people, that, that connecting is obviously a really good thing in, in so many ways, including improving your poetry, huh? Mm-hmm. So, so I know, I want to make sure that people realize that for those who are in the Lawrence area and are hearing this in time, you all are part of a reading at the Raven Bookstore in downtown Lawrence, on Thursday, the thirteenth of, make sure it's oh, actually the sixteenth. Sixteenth, yeah. So Thursday is the sixteenth yeah. of March, um, and those readings start at seven. It's free to go, and will you each have books available there that people can buy and get you to sign? Sure. Oh thing. yes. Oh yes. All right. <laughs> I'm a big fan of buy the book. I'm a big fan of that, and I'm a big fan of buy it from the writer if you can. If you can't buy it from the writer, can you buy it from the the press that published it? Can you buy it from a local independent bookstore? Um, And so basically I'm saying only do Amazon if that's your only option. (laughs) 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 And is we really need to support our artists and we need to support our local booksellers. And that happens when we spend money in those places. And how fun is it to listen to somebody read and then have their book and have them sign it too. And then, you know, be able to read those poems, those stories, whatever again, and, and hear parts of those in that person's voice. Mm-hmm. I, I love that part. I love that part so much. So, Me too. so what are some of the, what are like some of the, the newer works or the works that you have right now that people can come across? Kevin, you first. Okay. Well, um, I have a fairly new book of um, poems and stories called Songs from My Father, and I'll have a bunch of copies of those at at the reading. Um, Meadowlark Press, which is a press that's fairly new in Emporia, uh, put this out just a few months back. Um, It's a 2016 title, and uh, I'll have a bunch of copies of that. And the title riffs off of the Horace Silver uh, tune, an album of the same name called Song from My Father. And so um, it's, it's a... It's a thick book, so you get a lot of, lot of pages for your money. It's about 180 pages or so, um, and so and so there's that, and there's some collaboration in it too. I w- wrote a few stories and and poems with others in it, and so you get a little bit of variety and diversity in that way uh, as well. And so yeah, that's when I'll have and I'll have some other books there too for sale. And yeah, buy them at the Raven. Support your local bookstore and. Um, and, you know, I always think about how if you go to a concert, you've either got some CDs or some MP3s of people uh, in that band. You know, you've got a recording. Uh, a reading is the same thing. Afterwards, you know, at a concert, you buy the, buy the, buy the musical bit, CD. I'm a little bit dating myself here. Um, but at the end of a reading, get a book so you can enjoy that later and enjoy more on that poetic album. Yeah, yeah. I love how you say that, Kevin. I love how you equate that to the, yeah, like the, you know, just like the music experience. Here's this other performance experience. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, for me, yeah. for me, yeah, for me, it was, um, so yeah, I used to love going on vacation and getting a souvenir. <laughs> and so that's what I see this, like the experience of going on a vacation of, for an hour and a half or whatever, an hour and this reading, and then I take a souvenir home that's also yeah. signed. So, yeah. yeah, really, yeah, like all the 
the poet in that too, right? Like all the, what do you think, Kevin? Like all the books that you have that are signed by people, you, you look at them and you, then it brings back those really fond yeah. memories. Yeah. It does. It does like listening to an album over and over. You, you read it and, and you can say, Hey, I remember how her voice was when I heard this or, um, Hey, here's another poem kind of like the one that she read. I'd really like to check that out too. And, uh, it, it enlarges the experience and, and kind of becomes a, uh, a, a deep memory experience. A, what do they call it? Post memory. You get to go back into that person's past and, um, relish the moments that came up to that poem. So it's a neat artifact we have, um, as well as entertainment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So Dennis, what are you going to have at the Raven in terms of books that, that are available at this point? Right. So, uh, the fast food sonnets, it's the most recent and it came out of cool city review press, uh, Lawrence press that right. the amazing Brian Daldorf does. Yeah. He edits and runs. Uh, so that fast food sonnets, and then I'll also have copies of the um, My Secret Wars of 1984, which is a Blazevox book. Um, it's, you know, the comic book meets uh, public spheres. <laughs> it's examining comic books and Dungeons and Dragons with politics and like the fear of Ronald Reagan launching the, nu the nuclear missiles. So um, very relevant right now. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Is Son of Two Mothers still in print? Yes, it is. Um, I might see if they'll have a couple of those there too. Yeah, I. Yeah. yeah. So, so again, you know, buying the books. You know what I? What I? And I share them. I, I've got. It's one of those things where I've been accumulating books, mostly signed, mostly people that I have met, and I love also loaning them to people, which you can't. It's not the same as saying, go to this link and see this YouTube of this poet. It's like, no, take my book for a little bit. You have to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you enjoy it as much as I do. And in fact, I encourage you to buy it. But here, you know, this is how I can tempt you to, to explore this poet. This is how I'll do that. So I want to make sure people think about that, being at the Raven, because it'll be great. And and I want to just ask you both this question. I mean, I, I realize that that you don't only write poetry in terms of that's not your whole identity but i'd love to hear each of you say just a little bit about what is it that you specifically love about that genre about poetry okay go ahead evan you first i'll think about something okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah well i mean the thing that I love most about poetry and writing and any kind of art is that you you have a mission to go out and observe the world today. So if you don't go and, you know, if you're a photographer, you have a shooting list, a list of things you're supposed to shoot pictures of at a certain event. If, if, if you are not making art regularly, you don't have that kind of call or homework. And I love that homework. I love like going to a restaurant and say, in exchange for me spending this 10 bucks, I'm going to write something while I'm waiting for the food. And that's my experience. And if I don't write something, no eating until you got something down. And wow. so that kind of call is there for artists of all sorts. And it also, you know, they say you've heard the cliche opens your eyes to the world. It really does. You pay attention to things in a different way. And mm -hmm. I like that element of observation. Of course, the crafting of the art object, in this case, the poem, is also part of the joy, too. 
It's like you played your scales on the piano all the time and you played your etudes. Now it's some time to play something great. And so you work towards that. And sketching out the poem is a lot like playing etudes, but you move forward and it becomes something better some of the time. Um, mm -hmm. So I love that engagement with the world. And I think I would be a little more or maybe a lot more zombie-like <laughs> if I were not making art. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How about yeah, you? I, I agree. Yeah. Just um, poetry is about attention and um, observation and connection. Uh, poetry, I guess, even that, like when I first started writing poetry out of those journals, connecting with myself and then going to open mic poetry nights and community, I've always seen poetry just as a sense of working with community. So then the poetry itself seems like it does that too. Mm -hmm. Like the things I write about are about very much uh, attuned to that individual and community um, and those bonds, connections. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing I think about too is I'm really getting into um, Hermes Tris, ah, Trismegistus. He's this Greek Egyptian god that was full, he, he's often equated with communication and mm -hmm. medicine and so for me like writing and healing very much i was thinking like wow this kind of you know this old greek mythology you know greek egyptian mythology but that mm -hmm. it, maybe it's a poet's <laughs> myth right the mythology of a poet so i love that 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 notion of of art writing and healing and the importance of that and and it's obviously something I believe in so much. And and really, I although I said this often, my my connection to to writers and other artists really came because I was hearing people talk about how important their creative endeavors were to them and their existence. There, you know, I literally having people say, "Doing this saved my life," you know, and and believing that i mean getting that message and 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 i'm just going to give a side example because it's it's so thrilling to me um some young dance students at the university of kansas are getting ready to on march 10th and march 11th at 7 30 do a dance performance that is a series of performances by different student dancers and the whole concept came about because two the the two main student producers have both experienced suicide loss and dance is a way that they heal and so it became instead of just doing this personal stuff invite other people to be part of this positive performance where dance is healing for different kinds of stresses and and certainly ones that can lead somebody to that thought that suicide is is where I'm headed. And so this this powerful and positive experience of we need to celebrate life and connection through dance because this darkness can happen and we can work through it in another way. I mean, I love things like that. I, I just love that this this happens. And that, you know, as Dennis knows, I, we have an event in Lawrence every year, Words Save Lives, World Suicide Prevention Day. So I'm I'm a big big believer in the connection and belonging and empathy that gets built through art of all kinds. And that's wonderful. Yeah. So I really appreciate that, that you guys are, are here with me today for our listeners. I do recognize that you both 
are going to be teaching class in just a few minutes after we record. So we're yeah. at that point where I will invite you each to say a final word and then I will wrap up the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you creating this space for us to uh, talk today and, and, and examine our art a little bit, be part of a community for about an hour or so. I appreciate the, the space and the kind of field you've created for us. Thanks for doing this. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining I, me. I strongly agree. Like, yeah, my other mother was in the mental health field at Minningers. So just something that I just really admire of what you do for community and, and reaching out to others. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to liberate you two to go join your students. I'm going to give one more reminder about this lovely event that's coming up. And again, thank you very much, Kevin Rabus and Dennis Etzel Jr. And so long to you two. Thanks. And so listeners, I do want you to know that you have this opportunity to hear these two wonderful people sharing some of their work. And as we've said, it's at the Raven Bookstore in Lawrence, Kansas. And if you look at the Raven website, you will see that they frequently have these wonderful readings. They're always free. And it's a bookstore that specializes in local, um, in terms of local writers, local topics, lots of small press poetry. It's a great place to go in and buy something there, enjoy a reading, pet the cats, you know, that kind of stuff. So the reading that we're referring to is on Thursday, which is March 16th. It starts at 7 p.m. And the Raven Bookstore is on East 7th Street, just between Mass and New Hampshire in downtown Lawrence, Kansas. And the readers for that evening will be Ben Cartwright, Dennis Etzel Jr., and Kevin Rabus. Um, and if at all possible, I will be there, so I might see you there. Thank hey. you, listeners. Thank you again to Kevin and Dennis. Thank you, Daniel, for producing the show, and I look forward to the next opportunity to connect, to connect with you listeners and hope that you would go out and do something really good for you and for the people you encounter today, and so long. <laughs>